Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. So I'm on now. There you go. I forgot to turn it off. Let me invite you to take your Bible go to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. We've been in a series through the book of Exodus, and we've been journeying for now 10 weeks, looking through different passages here in Exodus. And uh, as, we, as we have, we've remembered a couple of things, that there are moments in our life when God needs to draw us out to draw us in. He needs to draw us out of our old self so he can draw us into a new life in him. We'll see that and experience that this morning. Let me ask you, how many, how many people, and, and we faced this last night, how many people have a problem remembering? Uh, some of you better raise your hand, both hands. Uh, you, know, um, you know, sometimes our memories slip us. Um, and my excuse is I have no hair. I'm not sure about your all's excuses. I believe it's a scientific, scientific fact that if you have no hair, your mental capacity just goes out the window because there's nothing help holding it in. I don't know about you all. I'm, I'm certain I can find some research somewhere of that. Anyhow, uh, I was reminded of this fact yesterday. Uh, Pam, Drew, and I went to... Chandler Asbury and Bailey Webb's wedding. Many of you remember them. They were students here, and, and they got married and was, did I say something wrong? Oh, um, and they got married, and that's normal. I, I don't know why I even ask, because I normally, there'll be something today. Anyhow, so they got married, and so we, we went to their wedding, and on the drive home, uh, we were talking. Drew was in the back seat talking about how beautiful wedding it was, and he had said, you know, when I get married, that might be a good spot, as long as she, that's what she wants, because whatever she wants is the way it's going to be. I thought, well, he's already learning early. At a, you know, <laughs> he learned a whole lot sooner than I did, you know, I'm just saying. And so he then turned and said, well, wh what did you all do in your honeymoon? Where'd you go? Where'd you fly off to? <laughs> we said, we didn't fly anywhere. What? I thought young and rich people flew off. Well, we were young, but we weren't rich, Okay. And so Pam and I are talking and telling him what we did for our honeymoon. And, and I, I said, well, I remember these two things. And Pam goes, I remember none of that. She says, I remember we, were, we did a helicopter ride. And I did, well, I remember that. You know, it's, it's one of those things I would have thought we'd have remembered everything, right? But after 23 years, I only remember the best part. I remember getting married to her. I remember, in fact... Look at Pam and her first husband. This is Pam and her first husband. He had hair. And, and I'm the second one. I don't have any hair. But uh, no, I, I remember lots. Of, there's a lots of things about our wedding day. And, and this picture, I chose this picture because it's just got so many memories. Mm, I got to quit. Not everybody in that picture is here with us anymore. But I remember the most important pieces. Uh, 
I, I remember uh, riding off. I te- tell people who don't get to see the picture that this, that was her dad's car that he, uh, he restored. And, and we, t- we tell that story. And I always say that her and her daddy rode up front and I got in the back seat. <laughs> and obviously, that's not how it was. Now, that's what her daddy wanted, but that's not how it was. But you know what? As time goes on, not all the details of that day are, are I remember. I mean, think, think back on your wedding day. Do you remember all the details? Some of you might. Some of you might not. Uh, some of you are just waiting for a wedding. Um, you know, there are certain things in our life that happen. And as time goes on, we, seem, we, we tend to forget those things. Um, lots of things. How it happened, we get the details fuzzy. Uh, we, we remember the big part, but you know, how we did this and where we did this and how this happened, we, we lose sight. This morning as we come and we observe the Lord's Supper, there is a reason that as we look at Exodus 13, that God said, I want you to remember this. This is going to be a powerful moment. And for you and I, it's still a powerful moment. Because as we will look at Exodus 13 at the Passover as we did last week, we're going to talk about the remembering. But you and I are on this side of the cross, and we get to look back and remember all of what God did and continues to do. In this moment, the exodus, the folks there in Israel, they only got to see a little bit. You and I have the glimpse to see Jesus coming, going to the cross, paying the debt for our sin. The Passover changing from the the animal to the person, the God of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed and poured on the altar in the Old Testament becomes the blood shed on the cross for you and me. And so this morning, we're going to remember. And it's important, so important for us to remember that God long ago, as he established people of Israel, he said, write it down. Remember. Continue to celebrate. Tell it to your children because it's a powerful moment. A powerful moment that should never, ever be lost. So if you have your Bible and you're at Exodus 13, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? The Lord spoke to Moses, consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you come out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leaven may be eaten. Today in the month of Ahab, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which he swore to your ancestors he would give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You must carry out this ceremony in this month. 
For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there, are, there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is to be eaten for those seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you. And no yeast may be found among you in your, all of your territory. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you in your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your ancestors, and gives it to you, you're to present it to the Lord, every firstborn male of the womb, all firstborn offsprings of the livestock that the stock you own that are males will be the Lord's. You must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock animal. If you, if you do not redeem it, break its neck. However, you must redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both firstborn of humans and firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrifice to the Lord all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. You may be seated. God gave, them, God gave them a reminder. Oh, the people of Israel uh, had, had recognized, had seen God, but they were about to remember what God had done. It was, not, it was designed to be something not like an episode in life, an episode we have in which there was a period of time when we did this and we no longer did that. It was going to be a... It was going to be a watershed moment, one of those moments that will change their life for eternity. And it must be remembered. And so let's, let's unpack what we're remembering and responding to today. The first thing I want you to do, there's, just think about it, is I want you to catch God's power, God's powerful hand. I mean, for the Israelites, they had seen God working through the plagues, right? I mean, from about the fourth plague on, they, they were separated from all the chaos that was happening in Egypt. And when, when things would happen to Egypt, they were protected and spared. They had watched God protect them and guide them. Now, they were still struggling because they're still under slavery, and Moses has told them, God's going to rescue you. And so for them, they saw God's powerful hand, but had not seen it to the effect of rescuing them out of slavery yet. They, they were still waiting for that rescuing to come. But on that night when the Passover happened, 
Oh, did they understand God's hand. When on that night as we talked last week, as, as God had told them to go prepare the animal, make the sacrifice, put the blood on the doorpost, do the unleavened bread, do all that. Be prepared. Get your, get your traveling clothes on. Do not lay around in your casual clothes. Get your walking stick ready. They saw God's powerful hand. For you and me, on, on this side of the cross, we've seen God's powerful hand, have we not? We can look through the pages of Scripture and we see how God works in mysterious ways. We not only see what God does with the people of, of Israel in that he brings them out, he parts the sea. We've seen all that. We've read that. We've, we've gone to Daniel and we recognize what Daniel has done. We've read Jeremiah. We We've seen all the things that happened in the New Testament when Jesus shows up and he walks on water. We see the powerful hand of God. We see God when he takes a guy by the name of Saul who desires to kill Christians and change his life and make him a missionary. We read all through Scripture God's powerful hand. But not only in Scripture can we testify about God's powerful hand in our own life. I mean, we've seen God do some amazing things in our own life. There are people sitting here today who's, who's gone through valleys and valleys and yet come out the other side because God was with them and walked with them and carried them. We've seen devastations turn to triumphs. We've seen God do miraculous things in people's lives, in our own lives. We can testify to that. Even, even some of us sitting here, if it's not for the grace of God, we don't even deserve to be in this place for our actions and our hearts. We come to this table to remember God's powerful hand not only in Scripture, but in our own personal life. How God has transformed us. That God has worked. And yes, we, some of us are still in the middle of, of struggles and waiting for God to show up. But here's the thing. Deep down, we know God will show up. One way or another, God is faithful. Amen? And so we understand God's powerful hand. We understand what that looks like. The second thing in this text that he, he told them was, don't eat anything with leaven in it. Uh, keep unleavened bread. Now, we don't understand much of that from what the writer, what we learned from Exodus because there's no explanation given other than we, we, we can imagine, uh, or those of you who, who've worked with bread can imagine, uh, I'd just like to eat it. Sourdough, Hawaiian, anyways, um, there's the kneading process that goes that you put the leaven in the bread and it makes it rise. And so we understand there is this, this moment in which, Hey, we've got to be in a hurry get your traveling clothes on, do this. Although I, I, 
I just want to think about that for a moment because if we've got to go get an animal, sacrifice an animal, cook an animal, remember there, I mean, we cooked everything. Again, Erdy's there, we're probably going to burn up a few pieces of it, you know, just certain, certain elements that I just think would be better in the fire than in my belly. But, but if you go through all that, you would think maybe you got enough time to make bread. However, Scripture tells us nothing unleavened. We get to the New Testament. Paul gives us some insight to that text. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 5 with me. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, he says, Boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out your old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven, but with the with the leaven of the malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So let's unpack that for a second. So as we think about this, this idea of leaven, leaven, that, that whole, remember, um, the old, old batches, kind of like the apple, you know, one bad apple ruins the bunch. That's a modern day take on that. And so what Paul is is helping us understand here is leaven represents influence. The influence in your life. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, that, uh, that there are some good leaven. That there are some things that, that are good. But then as we read Paul here in 1 Corinthians, there's this idea of, of bad. And so we, we, have to, we have to understand that principle. And so as I was wrestling with this and thinking through this and reading, I've come to realize that bread is, represents the substance of life, right? I mean, Jesus even says that I am the bread of life, yeah, I mean. So when we think about the bread being the substance of life, then there is this piece that we have to wrestle with of what is the negative in our life. If, if bread is the substance of life, then the, the influence of negativity in our life is affecting who we are. So he, he tells us, don't eat anything unleavened. In other words, don't eat anything that will influence. Oh, there's good influence and bad influence, but, but let's just hold, as Paul says, to sincerity and truth. Let's just, let's just be unleavened with sincerity and truth. Let's just, let's just come to the true source. Let's just come to Jesus. And so on that night, they, they're told, hey, nothing unleavened, or nothing leaven, I mean, only unleavened, and let's come to that place. So I was thinking this week, thinking about how, how that impacts our life because I think about all the influences that we have in our life. I mean, think about all the influences you have. Wednesday nights we're doing a series on choose or choices. Um, you know, there, we all have choices every day to make. There, you know, studies have been shown we make 226 choices every day just in food alone. How? I don't understand. It's just whether you want crunchy Cheetos or puffy Cheetos. 
Easiest two choices in the world. It's crunchy. Anyhow, we make choices every day. Those choices influence how we live our life. You make a choice when you get on Facebook and you begin to read some, uh, some of the posts that are out there. Listen, if there's ever a time we need to avoid some of the things on Facebook, it's now. I mean, people are putting all sorts of things, sharing, share, sharing things that are not even true about our government, about what's happening in the news. People are posting their opinion. What's missing is what God is doing. If you want to post something, let's just post, let's, let's just for the next 30 days, let's just post only things of what God is doing and the power of God in your life and your friend's life. Leave all that other stuff alone. But what happens is we begin to, we begin to scour that. We stay up all night watching Fox News, CNN, and all those things just because we're so caught up in this world of all the things that are happening. And we've lost sight of the gospel. And so what happens is when we do all those things, our lives are influenced by them. Did your parents ever, and probably nobody in this room but me, did your parents ever tell you, uh, pay attention to who you're hanging out with? My, my parents had that conversation pretty frequently with me. Um, and they needed to. Well, my standard response was, but I'm not doing what they're doing. And they would always go, but it's not that we're afraid that you'll do what they do. It's the influence that they'll have on you. Oh, they don't influence me. Anybody want to believe that? Yeah, only a 16-year-old would believe that, right? And so it wasn't years later that I realized how true those statements were. Do you realize that's still true today? Who you spend your time with, who you talk to, what you watch, what you listen to influences you who you are, helps you make the decisions that you make. Jesus came to set us free from the sins of this world. To free us from the negative influences in our life. To help us draw closer to him rather than the world. To be imitators of Christ as Paul would tell us in Ephesians. We can't do that when we spend all our time being influenced by the world. So Paul writes at 1 Corinthians about getting rid of the old leaven. Getting rid of that old influence because we are a new creation. As much as we want to say, but that's who I am, that's not who God made you in Christ. Did you get that? Stop giving the excuse, that's just who I am, because God didn't do that to you in Christ. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. He didn't, he didn't save you to be influenced by the world. He saved you to influence the world for Christ. Our greatest protection from sin is to focus on Christ and his redeeming love for us. If you want to walk away from the sin you're dealing with, 
Turn to Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Hey, Greg, there's three weeks in a row. I've gotten three. I hope you're writing these down. You could, there's another song you could write. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Okay, uh, 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 you, you got it? All right, write that down. What are you being influenced by? How are you being influenced? Last thing we see in Exodus 13 is this idea of the firstborn. If you, if you remember when we read that, throughout the whole, whole passage there, these 16 verses, there's this common occurrence that keeps reoccurring the, to, to give the firstborn over. And even to the domestic animals, and you go, well, I didn't realize there was domestic and undomestic. It was clean and unclean. The donkey, the reason it talks about the donkey is the donkey is unclean. It's a workhorse. And so it was also one to be sacrificed, but you didn't sacrifice it. You replaced it in its, in its place. So we see this firstborn. And, and well, aren't we all children of God? So what does the firstborn mean? Well, let's remember Exodus 4. A few weeks ago, we did this passage. We talked about this. Exodus 4, 22 says, uh, 22 and 23 says, you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. And so here's what, what God does, and it's the reminder here in, in the text for us. The firstborn was going to be a sacrifice. You put your blood over the door and you saved. Your firstborn would be then dedicated unto the Lord. You choose not to, or if you were an Egyptian, God was going to come and take your firstborn. God's firstborn are his children. You and I are children of God. If we've confessed Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, if we've come to a place in our life that said we believe that there is a God who loves us unconditionally, we are his firstborn. If we have surrendered our life and said it's not about me and my ways and my selfishness, but it's about God and rescuing me and preparing a place for me and using me to impact the gospel, if we've come to that place, we acknowledge that, believe that, and chosen to live that way, we're God's firstborn. And so in verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me. The word consecrate there is real simple. Make holy. Make pure. So as we come to this table, the, the question for, for us is how do we remember and respond to what God has done? How do we remember and respond? Because for us on this side of the cross, we not only have the, the message of the first Passover, but we have the ultimate Passover in Jesus Christ. So do we remember that and do we, how do we respond? Is it something that each day in your life you get up and recognize if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would I be? Are you remembering God's love for you in such a way and are you responding to that love by giving yourself over to 
Christ? Or has your walk with Christ just become an episode in life? An episode that happens and is gone. An episode that, that is once was there but no longer there. Episodes are things that we do in life that are, are things that happen in our life. For example, there used to be a time in my life when I played a lot of baseball and men's softball. That was just an episode of my life. It was just something I did for a period. My body couldn't take it. My knees wouldn't let me anymore. It's something that's in the past. I don't live in those days. I don't even think about those days. It's an episode. But Christ is eternal. Christ is something I remember and live every day. This morning we're going to come to this table. We're going to receive this cup and this wafer. And it's going to remind us of what Christ did on the cross for you and I. He became that Passover lamb. His blood was shed on a cross for you and for me. So that we could live a new life. Not one that is influenced by the old ways, but one who's influenced by Christ. So this morning, I'm going to ask you right now, if you, if you did not receive your, your cup of juice, would you just raise your hand? We'll make sure you get it right at this moment. All right, yeah. All right, Greg, would you come? And Mike, do you all have yours? You all have yours. All right, Greg, you come and get theirs for them. Yeah, I want mine. And then take the pan and herb. Somebody ask you to take your your element. Anyone else? You'll notice there's two cups. If you'll just take the, the juice out and hold it in one hand or whatever you need to at this moment. The disciples, I always, always refer to this and think about this. The disciples sitting in the upper room, they're celebrating the Passover as they have so many times. But what they don't understand is what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is telling them, and yet they are, it's just clueless. And I, I get that. Because he's telling them that this, this bread, this unleavened bread is my body broken for you. I don't quite grasp that. But a few days later, they would understand. So would you pray for, with me this morning? Father, t this morning we remember your body, your, what the pain, the agony that you went through. For our sins. So that we could have life eternal. So that we could walk away from our old sinful self and walk humbly before you.
So Lord, today as we receive this bread, remind us of your great love, of how much you loved us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Take and eat. So over the years, the Passover meal had become a whole lot more than what it began. More, and we do this in the church at times, we, we make things a little more elaborate than what they're intended to be. And so in the Passover meal, there was multiple times in which you would drink and, and, and eat and do certain things. And so they were about to take the cup again and Jesus was having the conversation with them. And this time he's going to bless the cup. And again, he's telling them words that they don't quite grasp or understand, but they would soon understand. Because this is my blood poured out for you. He tells them he won't drink this covenant until a new day. But it's coming. You and I experience that today. Would you pray with me? Father, you shed your blood for us so that we could have life everlasting. And so, Father, this morning we respond to you recognizing that you are one true God, one who can rescue us from the sin that we live in, the pain, the agony, the hurt. In you we find hope and peace. In you we find forgiveness. In you we find healing. Father, thank you for your blood that you shed for us. May we remember and respond each day to you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You take and drink. There's a story of a guy who grew up in Chicago. He decided one day he'd make a trip to the bluegrass state to come to Kentucky. Wanted to see the, the horses. He journeys to Kentucky and he's here for a period of time and he meets the love of his life. He convinces her to run back to Chicago with him and be his wife. So she did. They got married and she left the beautiful bluegrass state for the small, or she, for, for Chicago, however you want to put it. They were happily married for three years and a little more than three years into their marriage, something happened. She became ill. And, and not just a little ill, but really bad. Uh, dementia, things just, nothing began. She couldn't, she didn't recognize her husband. She, lots of things she'd scream out in the night. All sorts of things happened to her. Her doctor in Chicago said to her husband, maybe it would be best for you if you'd move out into the suburbs. Out into where it's not so congested, not so noisy for the streets. So they moved. 
built her a house so she could maybe find rest and relaxation. She wasn't sleeping, didn't sleep much, and he was always tired for caring for her. Nothing seemed to happen, nothing seemed to change, and so he thought, well, maybe I'll take her back to Kentucky. He loads her up in the car and thinks, I'll take her back to her hometown. Let her see the horses, let her see the house she grew up in. Maybe there'll be something there that'll help. After several days in Kentucky, nothing seemed to be working. She was just as uh, struggling as much as she did in Chicago, not sleeping. And so he decided to put her in the car and go home to Chicago. As he got on the way back to Chicago, almost there, he looks over and realizes she's fallen asleep. She hasn't slept like this in years. Pulls into the driveway of their new house and she's in a deep sleep. He parks and gently scoops her in his arms and carries her into the house and lays her in bed. Again, she's just a deep sleep. Takes a cover and covers her up and then does what he does many nights, just sits there by the bed, holding her hand, hoping someday this will move on. Wouldn't you know it, she wakes up. She wakes up and she looks at her husband for the first time in many years and says, I've been on a long journey. Where have you been? He looks at her and says, right where I've always been, right here next to you. For some of us, we've been on a long journey. The journey's not been where God has been, but God has been patiently waiting on us to return home. you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're not the one that's, that's been sitting still. God's been patiently waiting. You've been on the journey. Would you come home? Would you come home and recognize that God has been right where he, he's always been? He loves you and he sent his one and only son to die for you. If you're here this morning and you want to confess Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you to do that. If there's another decision on your heart, if you want to rededicate your life, whether you're watching online or, or with us here, you can do that. If you want to join this church family, you can do that. This morning, I want to encourage you to take this number down, 270-681-2363. 270-681-2363. If there's a decision on your heart to come to know Christ, rededicate your life, join this church, or if you need prayer, would you call that number? Would you call that number and we will respond to you? We will help you recognize Christ is the answer. Let's pray together.